we invented a technology, we completely warped our environment, and now we're here steeping, you know, we're evolving in this new patch, and a new meta arises. This is why you have these instincts. This is why you feel this way. Like they need to understand their instincts. They need to know when to apply. They need to know that you know maybe um, dating that that uh, rock star at 22, not going to work out well. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 59 of the Wake Up Podcast. In this one, I'm joined by Trav, aka Parabolic Trav, and aka Metatrav, um, and we're going to discuss the meta. This will be this will be a multi-part series, maybe five, maybe six episodes in total, where we explore this concept of the meta. Which, if you are familiar with Trav, you'll you'll probably have seen his um his newest uh, Twitter account where he starts discussing this stuff. And basically, meta is a word for like the the way or the you know the why how and what of what we do as human beings like you know it's, it's a way of living it's a it's a style like we we talk about it in the um throughout the episode where we discuss the Tao or what jordan peterson calls the um the golden thread you know the the, the logos the thing that permeates um our raison d'etre our meaning our meaning and our reason for being here so it's a it's it's one of the most holistic deep profound and touch everything kind of conversations and kind of topic in much the same way as uh, what bitcoin is and in this one in particular like we we talk through his personal life we talk through um i think a really important topic which uh nozomi and hayase and i discussed in the previous episode around nature and nurture um we talk about you know the the meta time zones or timelines and periods so particularly eden the crisis the neolithic and then the the jesus uh, meta you know and what what the meta actually represents and kind of like the patches and upgrades along the way that um that are part of the evolutionary adaptation for the different style of game which is effectively what each meta is um you know we talk about that as a as a biological process as a technological process um and as a cultural process which kind of ties uh technology with biology um, which is another super super interesting rabbit hole um we man there's so much that we discussed uh a couple of my favorite quotes were like religion is bro science um you know it's a feedback oriented discovery so the bible is basically a book of bro science <laughs> and it's such a like sounds tried but it's super 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 profound um we talk about the old testament um we talk about some of the books that inspired trav um so nurture assumption the paleo manifesto walter winks um jesus's third way i believe it was the red pill christianity by forrest Moridi. Um, obviously, we talked about Ayn Rand and a couple other things. There was there was also just yeah we we did some discussions around hypergamy as well and the um, the Turner male um, and how those models in the meta um, periods as well also relate to spiral dynamics. Um, we touched a little bit on you know the idea of the the, the Japanese bushido, the Chinese Tao, the Stoics. Um, and things like that and also the territorial imperative which you guys may have heard of heard me talk about so anyway there is just so much in this episode so much really good stuff and as i said we will do this as a series so there'll be an episode two three four and maybe five and six 
that dig into not only each of the different meadows, but the elements inside. Like one that I'm really looking forward to, for example, is the tournament male, the female hypergamy, um, frame and dignity, um, all kind of grouped into one. So keep an eye out. Um, the Bitcoin Times Edition 4 is also out, so go and check that. Um, that's at bitcointimes.news, and you'll find what I feel is my favorite piece that I've ever written, my favorite piece from Brandon Quidham as well. There's also uh, Thomas Strolite, Alan Farrington, Peter Sinongi, and Craig Warmke in there too. So get this into your veins, get that shit into your veins, and as usual, watch out for the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 59 of the Wake Up Podcast. And we're doing something new. Um, we're going to do a series of podcasts. This series is going to be called The Meta Series. And I've got Trav, aka Parabolic Trav, aka uh, Meta Trav, um, joining me on this to go through what he's actually started putting together. And he's one of the few people, and you know, I said this to him when we spoke about organizing this in the first place, but one of the few people online that I can just see a small snippet of the stuff he writes and I'm like, fuck, this guy gets it. Um, so I've been looking forward to doing this series for a while, man. Thank you for joining. Yeah, good to see you, brother. Absolutely. absolutely. So, so look, um, before, we, before we get into any of the, um, the meta stuff or the meat of the discussion, I, I just kind of want to do, and I don't want to do a, you know, the usual fucking gay background that everyone says, oh, yeah, so how did you get into Bitcoin? Just, just more, more so I wanted to kind of look at a, an origin story of yours and how you came to the, I guess, the place that you are now, the, the stuff that you're doing and, and the writing that you're doing around the, the concept of meta, um, you know, personal life inspirations, et cetera, along the way. I'm, I'm really curious around that stuff. Okay. So it probably starts when I was a stockbroker back in the day. And around that time, when I first became one, I was really unhealthy. And then... I figured out how to be really healthy and it was actually from a blog post and a lot of guys who, um, you know, follow Austrian economics will remember someone named Karen DeCoster. She was, she was always on lourockwell.com and she did a, a post once about this guy named Mark Sisson in the primal blueprint, right? I'm sure you know Mark Sisson, right? The, the name's familiar, but I don't think I've heard any of his stuff. Well, you know, in the paleo, the paleo diet and whatnot, and you know, evolutionary biology, that stuff was really taken on, taking off what five to seven years ago, mm-hmm. and it might have been earlier. It might have been. Might have been I think years. it would have been a good ten years ago, man. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, well, he was sort of like one of the first out of the gate, along with Rob okay. Wolf, if you remember. He had the yes, 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 right? yes, he was yes the CrossFit yes. guy, and Karen wrote this article about you know the evolutionary biology and diet, right? And that got me into Marxist, and that got me into the Primal Blueprint. So I was this overweight, stressed out stockbroker, and I read that, and it was an elite, immediate light bulb went off, and I implemented all the stuff. I read Mark's book, and I just completely transformed my life. But it got me thinking. So I was—I remember walking around the office, and you know, all the other brokers are extraordinarily stressed out, overweight. You know, um, I just had that vibe about them, right? That something was very off, and I was sort of like, I was tanned all the time. I was just like vibrant. And I felt really out of place. And so at the time I decided I, I don't really want to do this job. And like, if you know in the back, the dynamics of how being a stockbroker is in modern money management, it's a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a grift. 
right? Like you're, you're getting people into mutual funds or whatever. It's it's a real, I think it's a scam. But anyways, like you could just buy the the base ETFs and outperform almost any stock. Program, yeah, right? yeah. Like it's yeah. you buy QQQ, you, you don't perform everybody. But so there was all this like pressure to perform and all this stuff. I just thought was really out of whack. Now I understand it is it's all very fiat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at the time I had an instinct that, you know, I don't want to do this with my life. I much prefer this thing I've found because at that time I had also been changing the lives of people around me with this knowledge. Right. And how old were you then? Like, so this is roughly what, 10 years ago or? Yeah, this would have been 2009. So 12 years ago, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been earlier. Um, That would have been like 2008. I had just started it. That was around the crash, Mm -hmm. the big crash of the stock market. So but I didn't decide to leave till I believe 2011, if I recall, 2011, 2013. But uh, I decided to leave to start a health practice because I thought I'd, I figured out something of like intense value, if that makes sense, like really impacting people's lives because you don't really feel like that. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to keep up with the market and all these games going on. So, and that, that, that kind of relates to the Austrian stuff I had learned too about, you know, like, a, a proper economy provides value with the services and products. Right. So I wanted to be a part of that. So I ended up starting a health studio and this is like the current version of it behind me. And I did that for, so I started my own studio and no one was really doing those at the time. These like micro gyms that you see now everywhere, CrossFit mm-hmm. was just beginning and stuff like that. So I had an amazing experience where I was able to give people this ancestral health, this, um, evolutionary biology based diet. Right. And people would have like, I I would call them almost miracle transformations. Like you would see people, you know, on every kind of drug you can imagine, diabetes, markers for heart disease, everything completely transform right back to, you know, the way they're designed. So it was really incredible seeing that. And I thought, well, I'm really on the right track here. And that went on for a while. And I, I did that for years and, but it got me thinking, and it was around this time that Mark Sisson was trying to come out with another book and it was something akin to like primal lifestyle because you, you, when you realize that you're adapted for a certain type of diet, you start thinking, well, what else am I adapted for? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. cause I, I knew I wasn't adapted for the cortisol induced environment of being a stockbroker, but it didn't have like a structure that was easy to follow like diet, if that makes sense like a diet, you can implement framework and, but with your life, how do you wrap your head around what you're not adapted for? It's a much bigger question. And Mark, Mark came out with a book. I don't remember the title offhand. And I was really excited for it. I'm like, Ooh, we're going to delve into like the next stage of this. Right. And it was a real letdown that book. I was like, ah, it doesn't feel like he's touching on much of anything that Mm -hmm. the way that I was thinking about it. So it went on for years like that, where in terms of the ancestral health it was it was it was limited to nutrition lifestyle sunlight you know that sort of stuff a lack of stress right that was about as far as it was taken and then it was actually around the time that jordan peterson was coming out with his stuff mm-hmm. if you recall and he started to touch on he started to touch on things about the bible which up until that point i was a pretty staunch atheist right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he came up with his biblical lecture series and I just had a whole slew of epiphanies that even now would be hard to, you know, package for you and explain to you. But it was something akin to that, like, 
I had the epiphany, and that's what I've been exploring with this meta stuff, that religion has been, has been exploring the problem of what we're adapted for, or in the way that they term it, what pleases God, right? They've been focused on that for thousands of years. And they were primarily focused on like, what are you emotionally adapted for, right? Like, what is the nature of envy? What is the nature of anger? And if you think about it, those are no different than like the mal-expression of diabetes, right? Envy is like the mal-expression of diabetes, but it's an emotion. Mm-hmm. Can I get what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I was, uh, I started to really delve into that and Jordan Peterson started me on that. And then I went forward and it was an interesting part in my life because I've, I've mentioned this in my on a, on a Twitter thread before, but I had a drinking problem back then, which intuitively, you know, that that's an adaptation problem. Like there's something out of whack. Like, why do you feel compelled to do this? And so watching Jordan's stuff and we, it was very interesting. At the same time, my wife was taking our daughter to forest school, this type of school that they have around here. It's just outdoors. And there was this friend that she met that was going to church, this, this local church. So they invited us. So I was watching Jordan Peterson, right? I was drinking a lot. I was kind of in this weird place in my life. Like I'm eating ancestrally, but like the rest feels completely out of whack. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people face that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went to church for the first time since I was a kid. And it was, they were studying the, the book of Revelation, which has ridiculous passages that make no sense, right? So this pastor up there starts, starts going through it. Right. And I'm like, Oh, here we go again. This just, just like nonsense. This doesn't make any sense. Right. And they're going to spin it a certain way where it makes sense. So this pastor started to go through it. And I can't remember the name of it was the church in Thyatira. I think it is. I can't remember the exact one it is in revelation, but he started to go, he started off by like, this was a blue collar town and this blue collar town had these types of workers and they were worshiping these idols. And this is it. And he was going through it. And then this woman was creating a sexual cult. And then suddenly, like it was all this weird stuff, all this background, like what I'd been used to in other fields of study to be explained. He was doing it that way. And suddenly this passage that literally made no sense started to become this brilliant amalgamation of what was going on at the time that was extremely pertinent, pertinent to what's going on now. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, in awe of how complex what I was going through was. So that got me really interested. I'm like, here is a mountain of knowledge that I have not been connected to in my life. And that was probably the bigger, the bigger thing about Jordan's work is that I realized that there was a tradition that I come from. Like my grandpa was named John. I had friends named Matthew. I had friends or brother-in-law named David. Like these are all biblical names, right? Like so much of my life was Christian and I had no idea because I was disconnected, disconnected from it. And then once I started to learn this, I was like, wow, I'm actually at the tail end of a 2000 year tradition, you know, right at the end. And I have zero respect for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's useless when it's the, been the predominant way that people have been approaching life for 2000 years. So I felt, I felt this immediate reconnection to culture, if that makes sense, like a reconnection to 
uh, my ancestry, where I'm from. It was a really a sort of a powerful revelation that I had. But anyways, I introduced myself to that that pastor at the time because I thought I need to get to know this guy because if I end up going to other churches where they don't make sense again, I'm going to forget about this pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And we became really good friends. And because he's the same age as me. So he's in his late 30s. So he was a really young pastor, very charismatic, very smart, right? It was, I was really interested in getting to, getting to know him. And then he invited me to a Bible study. And then that is where I would say all my knowledge of like evolutionary biology, psychology, Austrian economics, like I found as I was going through the Bible, I was able to apply it all in ways I couldn't imagine before. And, and so much of the world and history was starting to make sense. And that question I had at the start, like what does an adapted lifestyle look like was starting to become clear to me, mm-hmm. right? And that's now what I've, I've called the meta and we, we'll get into why I call it that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, but, I, but I'll just finish that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, ended up, I ended up stop, stopping drinking. I ended up, everything got better in my life as I started to connect to this ancient way of figuring out what we're adapted for. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so one thing I always, or a big question, which I don't believe any of us will ever have the answer to this, but is the, is the the difference between um, nature and nurture um, and, and what impact each has on a person's character on their, on their constitution, on their principles and all this sort of stuff. Um, And I guess where I'm leading to with this question is that initial book that you mentioned that you read while you were a stockbroker, you know, what, why do you think it was you who read that book? Like why you, why that book? Um, Because there was another, what, 20, 30, 40 stockbrokers in that office with you. Like they didn't, but you did. So, so what, what do you think, what do you think there was, you know, some ingredients there along the way that, you know, there was some seeds planted maybe, um, you know, from a nurture capacity, or do you think that was part of your nature? Can you, can you draw that back in terms of your behavior from when you were young? That's a great question. And I can answer that now in a pretty specific way. So when I look at myself now, and, and how I was back then, I always had a bit more of a capacity for logic. That's why I gravitated towards Austrian economics. So prior to that, prior to being a stockbroker, when I was young, 9-11 hit, and I started to do online debating, right? And, you know, arguing every single topic known to man, including religion, but at that time, those really um, superficial arguments, like, oh, God's omniscient, omnipresent, and you just make little art, logical arguments to not useful at all, never really getting into the to the, what they discuss. But I remember when, as I would debate, I was very different than other people that I was always debating with myself. I never really cared about the rhetoric nature and like winning the winning of the debate. I cared about, did I have like what I would consider like the distilled logic. Mm-hmm. Even Some sort not, of consistency, right? Right. And even if I felt like I had, I had won an argument based on sort of like tactics, I would pull my, my own, I would govern my own self. Be like, well, I didn't have the logic right. And I know that. And I, I could feel that, right? And then I, I would say, I did that for 10 years. Like I started, when I started debate, I, you know, the first thing I'm after 9-11, I'm like, oh, they need to be nuked and, you know, bastards over there. And then like a few months in, I'm like, holy shit, what a mess did we create over there in the history of like how the CIA was involved and all that stuff. And you, you, these guys were just like kicking my ass in the start, right? 
But as I continued to go through and, you know, you learn all the logical fallacies and stuff like that, and you keep debating, you keep debating, I found that I had, like, I couldn't name most of the logical fallacies now, but I have an intuition for them. Like when a person says an argument, I have an intuition that that is incorrect, right? That's fallacious. Mm -hmm. I can't explicitly remember what the exact logical fallacy is, but it's like such an intuition now. It's like an instinct when I, when I speak to people. And that's what led me to Austrian economics, right? So we debated economics like mad and, you know, you get, you'd be talking about Keynesian stuff and all this ridiculous stuff and it would never sit right with me. And I went and I eventually, eventually went to school for finance and you would teach it. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And then someone I remember in the debate forums percolated a bit of Austrian theory. And I was like, that's the logic. And I just mm -hmm. zeroed in on it. Right now, no one in my family has ever read any of those books. No one, no one I know has ever read those books. I came to it by, I think my own nature and being raised by the internet, if that makes sense, just being exposed to the fire hose of knowledge. Right. And if you have a logical mind, you eventually land on these logic based science, these a priori sciences. Right. And then you see that that's the only appropriate way to start building your worldview because the rest is all subjective. Mm. Do, do you think it's got something also to do with, um, I guess, an inability I, I know because when people ask me, I, you know, me and my girl were at a at a gym last week, and it was like the second or third gym that I've been kicked out of in this city because I refuse to wear a mask, and it's yeah. just like, and the thing is, here where we are at the moment, like in Colombia, they, they don't really care. So, like, you know, if you just wear the mask under your chin, it's fine. But for me, it's like, it, I mean, it's not as bad as wearing a mask while you're training because that's just incredibly fucking stupid. But oh, yeah. I mean, we're wearing it under your chin, it's just, it's a fucking lie. Like, it's a blatant fucking lie, right? Like the guy, the guy came up to me is like, look, just, just wear it under here. And I'm like, but why? Like, do you not see that we're fucking lying about this? Like, so I wrote this whole like message to him in Google Translator so that I could, um, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll actually, I'll actually read it out to you. I think you'll, you'll, you'll laugh at this shit. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I just, I just have this inability, for example, to, um, to, to bullshit. Like I, I can't, um, I can't sit there and live a life. So, so th this is what I, this is what I translated for the guy. I said, I understand you're, you're doing your job, but being human is more important. I'm not a sheep. I'm not a dog. I don't believe in the lies from the government. If you want to support a lie and live like a slave, that's up to you. I'm sure you're a nice person, but supporting a lie makes your behavior evil. I will not support a lie. Um, and I said, the question I ask you is, do you support the people and the truth or the government and its lies? So I was trying to like use some um, reverse psychology on the fucker. And, and like, he, he had nothing to say. He's like, no, 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 I'm for the people, blah, 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 you know, and all this shit. And I'm like, then, then I said, if the gym tells you to put a mask, like jump off the fucking bridge, are you going to do it? No, but th they're not going to do that. I said, why are they not going to do that? Because he said, well, that's stupid. And I said, well, you just agreed with me that wearing a mask over your fucking face is stupid. And he said, yeah, but just put it underneath. I said, but isn't that just as stupid? He's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. That's the rules. So it's like, for me, there's this, like. I can just imagine you arguing over Google Translate. <laughs> bro, it was ridiculous. Um, and then they banned me from coming back in. But anyway, like the, 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 the problem I've got there is it's like, and I don't know. 
someone who spoke to me really deeply in this capacity was Ayn Rand. Like you, you read it in her books and, and her position, um, particularly on compromise, when, when she talks, like she, she's got this whole essay on the, on the word compromise, where she says, you know, the, the real genesis of the word compromise is to actually fracture or break something. You know, in engineering, when you say something is compromised, it means it is fucking broken. You don't use it. So there's no, you know, th th this idea of... It, well, when you think about compromise, so so that's what we've been taught to do. Like we've been taught to compromise. We've been taught to like um, to settle for a lie. And and for me, that just fucking grinds me the wrong way. So I wonder if you know, because I guess logic is one thing, but I know a lot of people who you know have the capacity for logic. I mean, even people who fucking work for me in my company who are extremely logical, capacity for logic, but they're out there fucking jabbing themselves one, two, three, four fucking times. You know, they, 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 there's, you know, they're willing to just wear a mask just to comply because I don't want to ruffle any feathers or whatever the case is. So it's like, it's a complete, you know, it is a logical inconsistency, but I feel like it's got something to do with, you know, either your one's capacity to um, conform to a lie or one's capacity to not be able to lie. And, and I wonder I wonder if there's something there and, and I wonder if you can relate to that. I definitely can. And I think from some of the work I've been doing, I can provide some insight. So I think that what you're describing in those people where let's say they abdicate to culture, really, right. They have a very difficult time going against culture. I think to a degree people are adapted for that. So like we, we like to think that we're adapted for logic. Well, that's one adaptation. It's particularly useful in markets mm -hmm. or in the case of men with the burden of performance. Like if you have to create something and build something, trade with people, build alliances, like you need logic, lack of emotion. Mm -hmm. But for 50,000 years, well, it goes even beyond that. So 50,000 BC on to about 20,000 BC was known as roughly the upper Paleolithic or what I call the Eden meta. We can get into this. I don't want to get too complicated. Mm -hmm. yet, but. Mm -hmm. Like you would imagine that your life would be just a ritualistic rhythm of culture and moving with the seasons and migrating with the herds. You wouldn't be thinking outside the box. You wouldn't even be having big conflicts over like masks or whatever. Like none of that stuff existed. The certainty would have been so high in your day to day that the great adaptation you would have is to be guided by culture right? Like as an instinct. And you'd be very, if you were outside of culture, you would feel this likely this great anxiety. So I think whenever you're talking to a person like that, it's just that instinct is very strong in them. Right. And then if you go further and you know this stuff and we'll have to get the backstory on it, but as tournament mails start to arise because of technology, that's when you start to need logic as your primary guiding, um, your guiding approach to decision-making in your life because you have the burden of performance. You're largely in chaos the whole time. You can't look towards culture to take care of you or tell you what to do. Right? So just the way that evolution works is we have these, these, these twin instincts that are traveling through time. And then when you hit the modern world, you have some people that have that massive communal abdicate culture, um, instinct that's what they're adapted for and then you have guys like us that we probably come from a different lineage where it's, it's far more focused on logic 
performing, building things. And I think that largely, that largely parallels the problem of the communist and the capitalist. Mm. The instinct mm. that's been going on, like what if it's not just like, it, it just arises randomly in the 19th century or the 20th century. What if it's related to our fundamental adaptations and the way that we approach problems and the way that we approach life? Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm, mm. Because like you, you see it, you see those people who they get all of their guidance from culture, right? Like the government says something, oh, I'm, I'm eating that way now. Oh, I'm taking that drug. Here's this experimental vaccine, completely unproven. Like you gave the example, wouldn't it be stupid to jump, jump over a bridge? Yeah, but if they convinced you it was good for you, they would, <laughs> right? <laughs> so as soon as culture just, once there's a unified amount of people that are making a claim, a mountain of lemmings just jump on it. And I truly believe that they're adapted for that. That is their primary way. Now that works well when there's a good culture, mm. right? They're the servants of a, of a good culture. And, but when that's broken, particularly in a fiat culture, and I, I mean, you can go all the way back to 1913 to when this started, mm. right? And then the, the authoritative part of, of culture starts to becoming warped, yeah. right? Then they become the, 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 the pawns of those guys and they become our enemy, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it really does. I'm, 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 you know, recently, you know, I've, I've been on this whole tirade where, you know, like I've said things like, you know, Klaus Schwab's not the enemy. Your, your, your neighbor wearing three or four masks yeah. is the actual enemy, you know, like, and, exactly. and shit like that. And, and for me, it's like, you know, I've been, I've been grappling with this notion of like, are, are these people almost like a different species? And, and, and maybe it's, you know, not to that extent, maybe they're not a different species, but you know, in, in your, different in your instincts. framing, maybe they're a different instinct and a different adaptation of yep. human. So, so, so I guess coming back to the nature nurture thing is like, how much of that do you think is nature and how much of that do you think is nurture? Like, you know, do, do you have any idea? Do you have no idea? Like what's your thoughts? Well, I there? used to think, I used to put a lot of stock in nurture, but I don't so much anymore. I think as time goes on, it's, it's a lot of people's nature. That's what we're mm. seeing um, play out on the global scale, on the individual scale within neighborhoods. It's, it's a lot of nature. Like what's really going on here is a lot of fear, right? Like take away everything people have learned in their life, scare them enough about what's going on and they will toe the line in a very mm. unified way. So I think it's, I think it's a lot of nurture or sorry, a lot of nature that, that determines this. You just said something though, that I, I had a really good point on, but I, I've forgotten it. Anyway, so I'll have to try to remember it. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think, I think nature is, is that guiding thing now. What was it perhaps the species thing that I was saying, like different species? Right. You just nailed it. So like, you have to think, you know, when people are born, some have a different propensity for anger, right? Mm -hmm. Some people have a different propensity for guilt, right? Psychopaths, for instance, don't feel any guilt, right? So you have this variance within people and that's all we're really talking about. Like say, well, one is adapted for, you know, abdicating authority to culture you know, one is more adapted for an individualistic logic based life. It's just, it's just a slight difference of, of instincts and those largely regardless of the nurture or their very, very strong force that over a long enough time tend to dictate, I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. In, in about a week or two, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, release the episode that I did. Have you heard of a lady called Nozomi Hayase? No, I haven't. 
she, she's on Twitter. She, she's, she's a Bitcoiner um, and she's, she, she's comes from a school of basically um, what's called liberation psychology, which basically is kind of like the, the corollary liberation psychology and traditional psychology is kind of like Austrian economics and traditional economics. Right. Um, it kind of like stand on the, on its own and it, you know, it's, it's a humanist psychology, which places the individual at the center and, you know, believes in the idea of uh, free will, as opposed to the kind of, um, you know, rat in a box fucking, um, yeah, yeah. What's the, yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the non-humanist side of um, psychology, which assumes that we are all deterministic, exactly that we're all deterministic nurture, um, you know, entities that if you know with enough um you know jabs will you know function in a certain way and, and it kind of like modern psychology by and large does away with the notion of nurture of, of nature sorry it, it believes you know right. entirely in, in nurture so anyway she, she she brought up something really interesting is, is is a study by a guy um and i don't remember his name it's it's going to be discussed in the podcast but he he studied psychopaths for 30 years and has actually come to the conclusion that um, they are biologically a different species than people who have the capacity for empathy. Um, and, you know, he's, he's done all sorts of tests improving it through like, you know, brain scans through, you know, what lights up in the brain through like all sorts of things. And, and one of the thing, one of the outcomes of the study is this idea that quote unquote normal people or, or you know, people with the capacity for empathy who try and train uh, psychopaths on empathy actually do themselves a disservice because they prove to the psychopath that, you know, here's, here's my weak point here, come and stab me, you know, right through the, right through the armor here. And um, it it was really interesting just hearing like, you know, cause, cause I've never thought about, um, you know, different human beings in, you know, as different species, but there seems to be something in that direction. And then obviously the, the, the series that I wrote recently, the whole, the remnant and the masses and the parasite, like I've really tried to um, look at them, but I looked at them more archetypically, not, not, you know, at a, you know, at a biological DNA level, I just said, you know, archetypically you have the the 20% of people who make the difference and the 80% of the lemmings. And then what I realized after the first article was, you know what, there is a, a subset of humanity, you know, which we could call parasites, which I said, they're either failed remnants. So they're failed people who tried to produce, or they're the envious, jealous member of the masses who sees the productive person. And, you know, the, the whole role of the parasite in this game is to kind of create uh, mechanisms for extracting value from a system um, and the best way to extract value from a system is to weaponize the lemmings against the productive people, um, because you've got, you know, numbers on your side, but anyway, the, the, there's a whole thing there. So I wonder, I mean, it's obviously beyond the scope of this conversation, you know, beyond the scope of probably what any of us will ever really discover, but it's just interesting to think about why, you know, you and I can, you know, as you said, like, within a few sentences straight away latch on to something that makes a lot of sense and it's it's not only logically consistent but it's actually a representation of something that's true um you know and i think that's the sort of the thing that rings to us um versus you know these people who will do things completely in the face of evidence and truth or whatever and they'll continue living a lie um and you know 
not have any ramifications. So anyway, I don't know. Well, um, well let, me, let me share it. So a whole bunch of thoughts on that. I think when you describe you know, alternate species, the way I think about it is that throughout history, different, call it those variations in people, lack of guilt, excessive envy. Some people are super possessive, some aren't, some are highly logical, some are blah, blah, right? You get, you get that. I think when a certain, like if you could, a bunch of those variations kind of group here and a bunch kind of group here, that would be what I think, not necessarily different species, but but people that have variations that are adapted for different historical roles, right? Because like I said, the lemmings or they, they are, they serve well in a good culture. Right. And I, I want to back up about, cause you were bringing up this nurture and where I get my thoughts on nature come from a book called the nurture assumption. If you've ever read it, you ever heard no, of that no, book? No, not yet. No, That's, it's 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 fantastic it's a it's a must read and the simple conclusion from that book is that if it's raising kids it said that the primary determinant of how your kids going to turn out is a combination of just nature and not nurture like so i need to break this up most people think nurture is like a, a, a parent's like putting a lot of effort into their kids and they're trying to teach them how to engineer each part of their behavior you know what i mean like the really helicopter style parent, like, I'm going to teach you how to be generous and I'm going to teach you how to share, you know, like all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Now that is largely a delusion. Mm -hmm. Like it, it does, they don't turn out that way. Did I lose you there? Oh, you're still there. Uh, you lost me there for a second. Yeah. So you said that is largely an illusion. That a delusion that you can actually yep. do that to a, to a child. What is the, the true drivers are nature. They're sort of genetic and their genetic, uh, Pretensities, propensities, and the only nurture comes from their peer group. So they will mimic and adopt the behaviors of their peer group, right? So if their peer group is generous and sharing, they will be too. If, if their peer group eats a certain way, they'll eat that way too. What their parents really do is largely inconsequential. We don't have that ability to um, engineer our, our kids like that, right? So what what that says to me is that the 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 determining the thing that designs kids at least is the combination of nurture and essentially you can think of it as culture right and then this relates so what what determines what culture is like because it's like a nurturing force like it has values and stuff what really determines that and i think that goes back to austrian economics and i think that the culture is always downstream from the money Right. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and when we, 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 our money turns us into a high time preference culture, it becomes warped and gnarled when we're low time preference, right? It's, it's focused way in the future. It's highly orderly. And I think what it comes down to, cause we've had many of these cycles throughout history, right? And I'm not just talking like the Roman collapse, like the whole J Jewish tradition of Jubilee, for instance, like marks like crazy cycles of debt expansion and debt debt forgiveness, right? So you'd have high time preference and low time preference. So I think one of the big variabilities that we have from a nature standpoint is we have different time preference. Some people are genetically higher time preference. Some people are genetically lower time preference. So when the culture warps the money and, and it the culture starts like promoting high time preference, all the lemmings come out of the woodwork and they support everything. You know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. and then when it goes 
when the money gets better, that's when you, be, you get the super productive and the highly orderly. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 interesting. Hmm. So I think if, if nurture, I think, is the best, best way to think about it is your genetics and culture, and then culture is largely downstream from money. Like the yeah. very, the, the simplest resolution. That's, what, that's the way I look at it, at least. Yeah, the, the, the time preference piece is, is really important. I mean, obviously, Seyfedin, I think, in our circles really popularized that term. But, you know, the more, the more reading on whether it's ethics or morality or, um, or economics or all of that sort of stuff I do, the more I find that this common thread of time preference is so, 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 so fucking important. Like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's genuinely... Oh. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I read about this African tribe once. This is to emphasize the, the genetic adapted nature of all this stuff. And they didn't have an adapted ability to predict the future, like, or even perceive the future, right? They're very present based. And they couldn't perceive like what things would look like down the road, or not very well at all. And it was something about like the British army at the time, like they would steal, right? They would, they would steal things because they can't perceive the, the consequences of that into the future. And then they'd get put in the prisons and they'd commit suicide because they couldn't, it was only for like two weeks their incarceration was and they couldn't perceive mm -hmm. that it would only be two weeks. They thought it'd be yeah, forever. Okay. Interesting. So it, it goes to show like even our capacity to like predict out into the future, it's genetic. Mm. It's like, you know, it's an adapted ability. Yeah, so I'm sure there's, there's degrees in that in all people. And, you know, it's the tyranny of, of what we, what we're going through right now. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. So, so I want to, I want to wrap this part up before we go into then meta. So, um, so stockbroker moved into the health and wellness space the the paleo movement and the, and the ancestral eating was a big driver for that and then you found principles similar to that in economics in um in christianity etc and that sort of has taken you on this journey i i, I wonder like so, so for me some of the biggest um inspirations along the way were were people movies and books um and, and in particular like i think you and i were probably lucky having been born when we were born because like between 95 and 2005 like you had i think the peak era for film like i mean to this day braveheart is still my favorite film um it yeah. i i think that film alone helped carve a big part of my character you know at least in the in the nurture in the in the nurture department of my character but like you know is there, is there any shining examples other than what you've already mentioned around the 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 paleo book um and and jordan peterson's work that also helped you know plant some seeds for for your thinking today well the first non-fiction books i ever read was ayn rand, ayn rand. oh really yeah well yeah. okay. virtue of selfishness yeah. i think i read that at like 14 years old okay. <laughs> so my head was just objective totally had the seeds okay objectivism was the first thing i learned right and it just made so much. And her, her book on collectivism too. So that was the first nonfiction books I read. Um, that's pretty big, and you know how that all mm, ties into what mm, I've already explained. Mm, mm. So, in terms of fiction, though, um, yeah, like you, Braveheart, huge. Anything about liberty, right? The battle for liberty. 
but but too it's funny you bring up the, like the 90s those epic movies right with the i was just thinking of like dances with wolves i think that was in the 90s right with the epic you know score that goes with the yeah 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 you know? there's none of that shit anymore man yeah there's like i mean there was the remember like there was um the last samurai with with tom hanks was yeah. incredible as well you know the patriot there was like, I mean, Gladiator, of course. Like, there was just these was these movies, yeah. And it, that shit's all gone, man. It's all fucking cheap. It was shit almost now. like the '80s was like um, ridiculous masculinity, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and then the '90s was like refined masculinity. It really was, yeah. You know, done, done really to like was. a yeah, an orchestra in the music. It was always done to an orchestra score, you know. Like it was, yeah, Hans Zimmer and all those guys, man. Right. Yeah, the, yeah, James the, yeah. Warner. Yep, yep. And yeah, there's there's it's none gone. of that shit. Nothing like that at all. Fuck. My how we've deteriorated. There was there was a guy today who was like, you know, trying to counter uh Brent Brennan Quinton wrote a really, really good piece for Bitcoin Times Edition Four. And um and it was like this idea of Bitcoin miners being pioneer species. So going to places that are you know, desolate and barren um and unable to to capture or harness or utilize energy and sort of going Plant, like planting themselves their seeds and then being the genesis from which an economy can build around it. So you get industry, then you get everything else. So it's like this idea of Bitcoin mining as a pioneer species, fucking mind blowing. So anyway, like, you know, I saw a, a, some idiot, like, so, so what, one of the points in there is this idea of the more energy we can harness and use, the better the lifestyle gets. And I mean, there's the, there's the graph of, you know, GDP and energy usage, which, you know, is up and to the right, even though GDP is a fucking scam of a, of a, um, of a, of a measure. And then this lemming, you know, comes on and he quotes like, oh, you know, the last 20 years, you know, if you look closely, um, energy in these, you know, high, um, in these high GDP countries has actually been going down. And, you know, my response was, yeah, and so has every fucking, you know, useful metric for, um, you know, life. Like, socially, yeah. we've become more deranged in the last 20 yes. years. Like, politically, health. economically, like, health, everything has fucking gone backwards. Like, so the last 20 years have been a regression, you fucking moron. So you just actually proved the damn point. Like, totally. it's just, it's so, so yeah. So, I mean, the, the, last, the last two decades... And then this is why I always love that this is probably one area where I, you know, definitely disagree with the, with the Matt Ridley's. And, you know, I think Jordan Peterson has sort of got caught up in this shit is like this idea that, you know, we're living in the best time in history. We're actually not the matrix nailed it. The peak of humanity at this point was the year 2000. Like that was kind of the peak, yeah. everything after the year 2000. Compared to what fucking... we could be. Correct. Totally. Totally. Like we, we just have this capability. We're miles behind. Thank you. Like we, we just have this, this, technological cushion that makes us feel like things are better right. because we can fucking talk to each other but in reality everything's fucked up we, we just like to, socially is and economically and politically and fucking health and all those things have gone down just technology is the one shining thing that's gone up and um yeah we're just living yeah. on accumulated capital totally we're just, we're just consuming all our traditions we're just you know what i mean yeah everything yep. everything is eroding it reminds me of that um that painting of uh it's that i don't know it's like a medieval painting of like the father eating the son it's like the leviathan painting yes, i think I, maybe I yeah kind of the one yeah yeah anyway um that's backwards right yeah yeah so, so anyway let's um let's get into meta so we've done we've got some background here um let's talk about the meta so 
first of all, you know, can you tell us what it is um, and what the hell it means? Okay, make it simple, eh? Um, uh, make it simple, complex, whatever you want to do. Very multifaceted. Good. It takes a while to explain fully. But I'll, I'll explain, I guess I'll go into the, the genesis of how the idea came along. So when you do ancestral health, actually it's, it's two parts. So when I was doing ancestral health, you start realizing what good feedback looks like. You're like, holy shit, I didn't know my body was capable of this. I didn't know I could feel this way, right? So not only are you using the correct logical framework to approach the problem, the feedback is incredible, right? It's, a, it's actually like a revelation. It was a revelation for me because if you're just going through your life and you're following culture and you're just taking ideas for what blah, 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 and like the feedback is never very good. You never feel like powerfully in control. And I felt that way after taking on ancestral health. Around the same time, I was trying to figure out markets and I was reading a book by George Soros, his autobiography. And he was a student of Karl Popper, one of the famous philosophers of science, in, invented or came up with falsifiability, right? But he had this amazing quote that he said, the market is the greatest laboratory because it gives instant feedback to your ideas, right? So in the case of like investing, you're profitable or you're unprofitable. He has this story about where one of his traders, because he had a team of traders, with his um, quantum fund and one of these one of these um traders came to him with like a large you know 20 page report or something on why euro bonds were going to fall right and soros just took the took the report and he said okay i want you to do the exact opposite of what you think and tell me how easy it is to make money right and that really got me into like the the scientific nature of what works or 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 the, the primacy of feedback. Because I, the only reason that the ancestral stuff mattered is because of what worked, right? So it was the union between those things because, you know, looking at the nature of things, like looking at the evolution, the a priori nature of things is really, really helpful. But you also need to be, um, I call it a slave to the feedback, right? or what's not the, the a posteriori, the, the, the observable, the, the success of the, of the laboratory, right? So I was reading those two books and that was the original idea, right? And, you know, Austrian economics is not prior science, but everything relating to human, human life and your experience is all about what works, right? So fast forward, I was the next epiphany I had, because this stuff percolated over years, was us, you know, playing video games. Years ago, I was playing League of Legends. And in video games, you'll know that they call they call this, like when you're playing them, the top playstyle, they call it the meta, right? It's like, oh, you need to play the meta characters right now. You need to play the meta, the meta, you know, like the teamwork strategies, right? And they'll say that and they'll be like, Yeah, this is the meta right now. This is what you need to play. Otherwise, you have like a mathematically less chance of a, of a higher win rate. You get what I mean? So like they'll announce that when you're like, when they're playing um, like the competitive uh, stream stuff and they'll be like, Oh, they're, they're playing the meta right now or whatever. So, but you can see the meta, you can go for, for instance, with league of legends, you can go to a website called champion.gg and you can see with this current patch, here is the current win rate percentage. Well, ancestral health is definitely the meta. 
right? Eating that way is definitely like the human meta. But guys in bro science also have the meta, right? Because they are just pure feedback. They really don't care about mm-hmm. highbrow theories. They're like, what fucking works, right? How do I get jacked? They're pure mm-hmm. feedback focused, right? Like you could take a hundred of the fittest guys on the planet and you'll have a great idea. And if you, if you, if you did a meta analysis of all their feedback methods, you'd have like the meta of those hundred and it would be very, very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the, the idea started where I was just like, well, so what's, what's the human meta? Well, that's not an easy problem to answer. I, from what I had done in ancestral health, I knew that what would indicate what could potentially be the meta was evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology. When you seem to satisfy that perfectly, the lab experiment produces highest feedback, mm-hmm. right? So then comes religion. So religion is like bro science. It's like, this is the best way for your tribe to arrange itself for maximum peace and harmony. Here's the 10 commandments. Oh, well, why do they work? I don't know. God said so, you know, like (laughs) they don't have a hypothesis that informs the feedback. They just look at the feedback, right? Yeah. 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 I'm assuming a non, like this would be a non supernatural explanation of why the 10 commandments exist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gordon Peterson did a great piece on it. He said that, you know, Moses was tasked with arbitrating thousands of disputes between this wandering messy tribe. Mm-hmm. And he would have, uh, he would have started to see like com- the commonalities between all their problems, like percolate up, right? Like a bottom up, um, a, a bottom up method where you'd see, he'd be able to abstract out. Oh, here's the problem. You're all, coveting what each other has oh here's the problem you're all lusting after wives oh here's right you're, you're committing adultery he'd find those and then the story goes he goes on the, on the mountain and he gets back the ten commandments but you could look at it like it's a very logical feedback driven process where mm-hmm. he determined those ten commandments because if you look at them like prior when i was an atheist like i never like paid attention but when you look at them you're like oh this is tribal reunification theory like this is this is how you make a tribe work Mm-hmm. And everything today is the same problem. Like everyone's coveting each other's stuff. Everyone's, you know, got lusting problems. Everyone's got anger issues. Like, so when I looked at religion, I was like, okay, so here's like the bro science of that time that has, has mastered, like, what is the feedback that works? Like the old Testament has in Leviticus, the best hygiene methods that work, right? They have the best kosher, like, or, food preparation methods that work cleanliness methods that work and then behavioral method it's just a it's just a book of like bro science that's the best way to think about it people wouldn't call it science and that was right i missed a book i I read it was called the paleo manifesto by john durant and he really explored this he said the old testament is the first book of science so this was a guy like paleo thinker and his second chapter was called moses the microbiologist and it went through all the the hygiene and you know um everything they do to prevent the spread of pathogens and stuff like that. And you can only conclude that that's like a book of rudimentary science on how to, mm. right. And mm. that's why the mm. Jews were always so anti-fragile throughout history. Whenever there's plagues and whenever there's, they survive it. Right. It's because they're super clean. Like the God of Abraham is like the clean God. He's the hygienic God. Right. And that's in the book. 
So um, knowing that, it was about marrying it all. So I thought to myself, okay, looking at, looking at biblical bro science truths, do they also match up with, or can they be informed by evolutionary truths? And that's where you see the exact same thing. So what the meta is, is like, well, what is working? But it's also the a priori nature of why it's working. And I feel like we're, we're smart enough now to explain why a lot of the stuff worked in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson being a, a pioneer of that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I lay out my metas, so like if you go back to the League of Legends thing, every time a new meta occurs, it's because a new patch occurs and they change all the, the dynamics of the characters and the, and the gameplay styles, right? And then, a new, and then in that patch era, a new meta emerges. But when you look throughout history, we've gone through like distinct changes in, in the environment that we've evolved in, right? You can think of that like a patch. It's like, and so what we did was we invented a technology. We completely warped our environment. And now we're here steeping, you know, we're evolving in this new patch and a new meta arises, right? So when I start my, my meta stuff, so that the combination of all that stuff is, is the meta, right? It's not just bro science. It's also trying to be informed from an a priori standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. From the nature mm-hmm. of it. So the first one I ever wrote was the, the Eden meta, which really describes the, the upper, upper Paleolithic period. And that is from 50,000 BC. It goes up to 12,000 BC normally, but I stop it at 20,000 for my Eden meta. And it's my view that what they're talking about in Genesis of this place of perfect balance with God is the, that period of time in history when we were maximum lords of the earth, you know, the top apex predator. We had an abundance of food. We had extraordinarily entrenched cultures where life was extremely certain day to day. The extent of our possessions wasn't much. We had group hunting, right? We had communal sense of possession, right? We all thought we should, we should share in, in what the tribe brings in, right? Everyone contributes. So the, the Eden meta is where some of our very strong social adaptations come. And that's where the best way to describe the type of individualism that would have existed in that time is called pro-sociality, which means like, it's like a, it's a, it's an other focused way of acting, right? If you could go back to those times, there were always like the sense of self isn't egotistical and possessive. Like it is now, it would have been very thoughtful to everyone around you to the point where like you would, in case of men, you know, there's this picture I really love of these, of these, these guys um, spearing a bear. And it always, when I look at it, I always think they probably would have been willing to die for each other. Mm. Like it would have been that level. I don't want to call it selfish, self, selfless because action's always selfish, but they didn't have the, the, what it would it be around death where it's like a real tragedy because it's like, we're so possessive and egotistical that when we die, it's like all this lost potential and all this, like the way that we look at these things now, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have looked at it like then. It would have been probably an honor to die for your friends and serve your friends and serve your culture and just glorify it all and then raise your kids into all the predetermined roles that exist. You get what I mean? It would be this very, very certain. And of course, you'd have specific tribes that face some crazy hardship or something like that. But largely it would have been a very different reality to what we have now. And the big thing was that they have this group hunting, this communal 
sense of possession, not a lot of possessions, very, very little. And that, that would have been like, so that's a meta. That's like that patch, that was the meta that emerged. That was the behavioral style that humans had. So that's the first part of it. So then the second one we enter is when we, when we kill all the megafauna because our technology gets too good. We enter this period of crisis. So this is a different meta. This is like, oh, what are humans like when they've completely run out of food? Well, it turns out they have these crazy guys called shamans that try to compel forth, you know, the animals and, 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 and uh, try to be blessed by the animal gods. And there's cave paintings and, you know, to try to compel forth something to, to make the hunts more successful. Oh, then the hunts aren't successful. Let's blame the shaman. Well, then the shaman invents that you are, you are, you're deity, yeah. right? You in your sins and in, in your way of acting was the problem. Oh, it was us. Oh, I feel guilty. Or oh, what can we do? What can we do to please God? Well, let's sacrifice our kids. Let's, let's do human sacrifice. Like all this weird stuff starts coming during those times. And that continues into the Neolithic, right? So like, the, it's like a different, it's like, why do we have history of human sacrifice? That is freaking bizarre. Mm. Right. But it's because our environment got warped so much. It's like a new patch for humans had to deal with. And the meta of that time was that we had to give up extreme value, our most valued possessions to get the blessings of God. Right. And then you look in the Bible and they have like a patch upgrade. Abraham faces the same problem. God asks him to sacrifice his son and he's about to do it. He's about to give up the thing of most value in his life. And God says, you don't have to do that anymore. I just wanted to test that you would. And then human sacrifice, at least in the Jewish tradition, ends when that goes forward. So it's like the Bible, like, fix the meta, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> anyways, but one of the other big ones that occurs, so, so after I call that the crisis meta from, you know, 20,000 BC to 12,000 BC, and then we enter the Neolithic, which a lot of people that study nutrition understand, right? But it wasn't just that, you know, bread entered our, our diet and dairy and things like that, but completely different ways of living. We started to live now in villages where mm -hmm. um, it's based on farming. It's a lot more war. We've domesticated the horse, right? And this is where I talk about how the tournament mail started to arise. And the best story of that, the best, best one I've found to explain that is um, of native Indian culture, which wouldn't technically, like when we, when we, when we um, colonized the new world, they weren't technically Neolithic. They would have been like Mesolithic, but we gave them some technology. The Spanish gave them horses and stuff. So it's kind of like, they're like a weird hybrid, right? Like mm -hmm. And you can see this strange phenomenon. So they go from a society that's on foot all the time with dogs and, you know, they can't even, they can't even kill a lot of the, like the, the megafauna, like the remaining megafauna, like Buffalo. And they're eating dogs a lot. Like they don't have like, and then suddenly they get the horse and then they become just masters of, of hunting. And then that's what this, this quote I have I, from Wrath of Non, if you know him, he, mm -hmm. he, uh, he did the excerpt from it and said, up until that point, um, everything was based on communal ownership because everything was communal hunting. Suddenly it comes along with the domestication of the horse, the complete prowess of um, the individual of the individual to, to mark his own kill. Right. And, and because of that, some men are better at it than others. Some survive better than others. And the ones that 
are better at it, they get to have as many wives as they want. So polygamy starts to enter the meta at that point, right? So we go from largely a monogamous, what I call pair, like the pair bonding style, then as soon as we can individually hunt, you know, individual skills start to be elevated, whether it's in farming or agriculture, like certain things, because we've, we've entered such a world of chaos because we killed all the megafauna, that we now, we have certain men that are better than others, like way better. And then because they're so good, women's hypergamy picks them because they want to survive. I, I post this article from 8,000, it's, 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 it's an article describing life at 8,000 BC. And they say that for every one man, they would have 24 wives like that would reproduce, right? So that's like massive harems. That's like, I'm just trying to imagine what these villages would be like, these like farming villages. And like, there's this one guy and he's got 24 wives or there's a couple guys like that, right? Well, that means 23, because, you know, the, the birth rates were like roughly 50-50 for men and women. That means 23 other guys didn't reproduce because mm. they didn't have the skill. They didn't have the ability, right? So this starts warping our evolutionary trajectory where that tournament male is the only one reproducing and the only, and, and the women that are reproducing with him are the ones who are like hypergamous, more hypergamous. They're willing to do that. I'm sure there was lots of women who died who weren't able to do that. And tons of men who weren't able to keep up with the other men. So then that meta starts changing us again. So that was, is when sexual selection really starts to alter our evolution. And that's a big thing. Jordan Peterson really got me onto that about evolution is, not just what everyone knows is natural selection, that what is not capable just ends up dying, right? Or not fit for the environment. When sexual selection um, enters, it's, it's female selectiveness that starts picking the qualities of, that will go on in the future. And if you think about it, that's like a conscious force. That's just not the unconscious nature of evolution dictating things anymore. There's now a conscious force. And my view is during the Neolithic that tournament males we're largely reproducing and the others were dying. And that starts talk about those variations earlier. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. It starts changing our variation towards that. And we, we switched from being a pair bonder, largely a pair bonding species to a tournament slash pair bonding species. Right. And mm -hmm. I probably got to get into what a tournament species is, but it's. Let's um, yeah, before, before we have I gone go too far? Too complex? No, 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 no. It's all good. Before we go down that rabbit hole, so so okay, let's yeah. let's bring it. Go, There's okay. one yeah. last piece to that, and that mm -hmm. after the Neolithic and the, the the Jewish tradition and the Old Testament is working behind the scenes, fixing a lot because we're all dislocated now. There's there's uh, there's kings and you know these tournament males with their harems, and it's this this world that's like dominant, and and then the Jews start through synagogues and the way that they're they start building an anti-fragile, like tribal reunification software. Like if you think about the Bible that way, right? The old, it's like a it's like a software, and it's re, it's tribal reunification, and it's and it's this people of Israel that are constantly messing up, but they keep surviving all these empires, and then eventually it culminates in Jesus, who perfects the tribal reunification with the creation of the modern church, the body of Christ. Right? Anyways, mm -hmm. there's tons of stuff there, but that's where we start getting back to that Eden meadow. We start going back through, through because Jesus essentially teaches 
how to be like that old tribe 50,000 years ago that loves its neighbor, would die for its friend, that, you know, that's so, so self-giving. Do you kind of get what I mean? It's because we are adapted that way. We just, our history was really going off course with due to technological change, the horse yeah. and yeah. You know, the bow. And anyways. Yeah. So, so when you were mentioning um, the meta early on um, in, in this discussion, like w- one thing I thought of was um, I, I was a avid reader of all of Bruce Lee's stuff when I was younger. Um, and, and, and I love this philosophy and I, and I, and I love this, his general take on the idea of Taoism, which, you know, is the, the word basically, I think in some senses maybe kind of means the way because, sorry, it means meta in, in a sense, because like the, the, the best translation he had for it at the time was the way. Right. Yeah. And like the way is not just what, but, uh, or how, but it's why as well, which, which is effectively, you know, right. Roughly speaking, you know, what, what we're talking about here. And, mm-hmm. and I guess, um, I mean, to dig into these, so yeah, so Eden, Crisis, Neolithic, Jesus, and then prior to Eden, you know, I remember you mentioned something like Sapien and Erectus. Yeah, it would, it would just want, be, go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to sort of color those just really quickly before we dig into a couple of these? Well, I think the big thing there is that um, language wasn't invented yet or discovered. Mm-hmm. That comes in around 70,000 BC and then culture really picks up around 50,000. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, it's like Erectus and Sapien. They're just sort of this communal hunting tribe, right? Mm-hmm. That's very basic tribe dynamics, social tribe dynamics there, grunts and, you know, hand, signature, hand signals to communicate and just a very, you know, a specific type of diet. So what you can take from that period isn't as interesting as what you can take when culture starts to be developed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And technology, once that starts getting in, so our, our, our trajectory up until 50,000 years ago is like, is a lot more like linear. It's mm-hmm. a lot very, very consistent. It's very natural selection based. And then it starts getting into the Eden meta, the crisis meta going, and we just start entering chaos, right? Different patches, different metas, right? And it's all building, it's warping our genetics, sending us in a million different ways, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, so, so the, the argument there is that technological evolution and cultural evolution so sort of you got you got maybe technological evolution in the front it's, it's cultural true. sort of in the middle and biological yeah. in the end and cultural is kind of like trying to bridge the gap between the technology moving and outpacing our um biological evolution yeah yeah so it's you got it so it's we we invent culture gets good enough where we get smart enough and we're because we're communicating language you can communicate more advanced inventions, right? You can communicate how to discover this stuff or, or share it with other people, other tribes, right? There's just a lot more dialogue happening. And so then the technology changes things and then female sexual selection picks those new men who are better at it, which then alters culture, which then alters future technology, which then alters mm-hmm. sexual mm-hmm. selection, which then alters, you get, you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just yeah. keeps running like that and then it's, it's very slowly dragging along biology with it mm-hmm. right? because a lot of people are dying who aren't cut out for this new world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So t- at, at the risk of 
going into too much detail, particularly around the, because I want to do an entire episode on the, on the, on the tournament mail, but can we give a, a basic overview of, um, of what, what that is um, and, and how that plays into this um, technological, cultural and biological evolution. Right. So two types of species in mammals, tournament species and pair bonding species, right? Humans are traditionally thought as a pair bonding species, you know. Um, and pair bonding meaning? Okay, so yeah, other, right? there's these actual specific qualifiers. It's like, because we're roughly the same size and we're, we're let's say less aggressive, we don't have claws or things like that. And we have, we have much, much larger need for parental investment, right? That means that women will select a man based on his long-term ability to commit. So then there's other species where the difference between men and women is dramatic. One of them being like elephant seals or like lions, right? And they often have something like, uh, they have aggression and they have claws or they have something and they actually fight a lot, right? They, they're, they're constantly male competition. And then how the female reproductive strategy works there is they wait for whoever wins and then they have babies with them. But that species also usually has not a lot of parental investment required from the male. So the women just say, thank you very much. I got your genes and I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the, the tournament reproductive strategy would be strictly trying to get genes. You want the best genes, the winning genes. And then the pair bonding is you're trying to find the genes that will stay with you the longest mm -hmm. for, the, for the period to maturity of the kids. Now, because human babies are so utterly fragile because they're, they're big heads, right. And they don't come with a lot of like pre-built firmware, like, you know, a horse is born, it can walk shortly thereafter. It takes forever for a human baby to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need a ton of parental parental investment. And that's why throughout most of history, we're largely a pair bonding species, but then we invent technologies, which are, it's almost like giving man claws, giving them like tough hides and they can be aggressive with each other now. And they can, they can compete with each other that Indian on horseback. Well, he can get all the food. So it's, it creates tournament qualities in us and then the women pick now pick that man for reproduction and that's why you see polygamy arise because you don't see that in history it just starts arising and they don't have a lot of parental investment in the kids like the the, the king or whatever he's he's got his harem and they all have babies and he's just not there and it's all they're all raised by the the women do you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's like a so a human is a, is a, is a, because of what we've been through in those metas that I described, we are a hybrid, hybrid tournament, hybrid pair bonder. And does that make sense? Is that, is that pretty clear? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, so, so, so we have instincts for both. That's what I'm getting mm -hmm. at, particularly mm -hmm. men, right? Particularly women. Some, some women are more hypergamous than others know how to pick the tournament male. And like, if you don't pick the tournament male in crisis times, you die. That's how, mm, mm, that's mm. how important this is, right? Right. And if you don't, as a man, use your tournament instincts, like now you die, you take stupid vaccines you shouldn't, right? Or you mm -hmm, trust mm -hmm. things you shouldn't and you're off the bridge because mm -hmm. you're lemming, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so can, can you define the word hypergamy for people who are new to that term? So that is just, typically it's just, you know, what is the instinctual reproductive strategy of a woman? 
-hmm. Some rope it up that it can be like Rolo. Rolo has a really good way of saying, he says, hypergamy is the, is the instinctual desire for alpha seed and beta need. So alpha seed being a tournament male seed, they're superior, they're the winners, they're smarter, they're able to whatever compete better, they're able to protect better. And then beta need, that guy who will stick around for a long period of time. You might not like him too much, he doesn't, not the alpha, right? But but um, he'll, he'll provide for you long, for a long period of time. So hypergamy, in Rolo's example, when a woman's in her 20s, she wants alpha seed. As she starts hitting something in her 30s, she hits what's called the epiphany stage. And then she starts, because tournament males can be assholes. Tournament males can impregnate you and fuck off, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you've seen those guys, you've met them, right? So now they need, so they look at their past in their 20s and go, oh, I really screwed up. I let my instincts run wild, right? I, I pursued this guy who was a terrible person, right? Because there are good tournament males and bad tournament males, right? We'll get into that later. So then they hit into their 30s and they hit the epiphany stage. And then they start thinking, well, I've, I've screwed up. You know, I, maybe I have a kid. The, the father isn't in the picture. Um, I need to be taken care of. And I'm starting to lose my looks. I can't compete with 20-year-old women anymore. So the, the epiphany stage starts tr changing their hypergamy to pair bonder or beta or someone who's just mm -hmm. going to commit and be there for a long period of time. But they, the, the, the challenge is they're never, never necessarily happy like they were with the real desire attraction to a tournament male. This is more like a settling phase. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. how human modern hypergamy works. But ancestrally, if you were in the Neolithic, it would be a do or die scenario. If you don't pick the tournament male, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. women who are highly hyper hypergamous found that guy really desirable to where he kept you around and he desired you back. They're the ones who reproduced. So that's why we have that instinct strongness. That's why guys like very confused by that phenomenon when they see a, like a, a guy they think is an asshole, get the woman who that guy's not going to stick around. That guy doesn't care about you because they don't understand that this instinct is there in women and it's ancient. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 basically it's almost reptilian uh, in terms of like the right. the well, so segment. It's, well, it's and it in its purest form, it's like psychopathic, like like the tournament. Like if you look at elephant seals, for instance, they have nothing to do with parenting. Like if you met a modern guy who impregnated a bunch of women and had nothing to do with par parenting and just screwed off to a beach somewhere, you'd think that guy was the biggest piece of shit alive, mm, right? Mm. Mm. That is the most raw, instinctual form of a tournament. You know, it's rare to see, but you, you see them or psychopaths or that sort of stuff, right? But like everyone's on a spectrum. Everyone's on a spectrum. So like, you know, this would be tournament male and this would be pair bonder. And most people are, you know, and some guys that are really successful, like patriarchs, people who build like really strong families that don't buy into all this stuff can, um, can, can, um, would be like remove themselves from culture and build their sort of their own private reality they're always tournament males yeah yeah, yeah. They, need, they need some of those instincts right yep and i call anyone who anyone on that side tournament male right like just if you're if you're playing on that side right of center then i, I like what you said there about um has the capacity to remove themselves from culture and build their own their own bubble 
actually had that, this. That is a very hard thing to do if you think mm. about what we're evolved for. We're evolved for following and abdicating the culture and tribes. Like to be able to do that is a very, it's a very unique instinct. Mm. And it's it's and it's it's a very risky thing to do as well because traditionally there's um you know there's there's strength in numbers etc cetera, etc cetera, totally. particularly in a in a in a world of um of limited technological capacity and high degree of scarcity in terms of resources and food and everything like that. Yeah. Um, question around um, two things. Have, have you ever looked at um, spiral dynamics as a, as a model of understanding? I have heard, I have heard this before. I haven't, I looked into it a bit, but go ahead. Okay. Now I, I just think it, in a way it fits really nicely with um with the different um particularly the the evolution from a from a communal type of meta into the tournament nail type of meta so so in spiral dynamics you have the the layers of individual and collective consciousness uh in in human society basically or in the world and sort of starts off like the the base level is you know they're each given colors. So, so level one, the base layer or the base level is, um, is beige and it's pure instinct, pure survival, um, you know, egocentric me, me, me. And, and, you know, the, the archetypical, um, manifestation of that in humans is babies, like, you know, or, or, or a really, really old person, you know, about to die. So it's kind of like, you know, one of those two. And then we kind of evolve into what's called the, the purple zone. And the purple is tribal, um, communal. Uh, we're all in this together. And it's kind of marked by things like we saw some lightning strike and then it started raining um, after somebody dropped a rock, which means if we drop a rock, maybe the lightning will strike again, it'll rain. Um, right. And, you know, it's kind of like the, it's the bro science stage of existence. Yeah, um, totally. And, and it's, it's all, it's all completely communal. Um, you know, it, it's, it probably fits a little bit into the, to the Eden piece um, and kind of is with <clears throat> us through, through crisis. But then yeah. what happens is that the next evolution, the next uh consciousness like level of the spiral is um is the the power god level so it's red and that's where the the what's called here is like the the individual rises above and uses force um or power or some sort of coercion to to lead and to rise above the group and this is where you get the you know the genghis khans of the world and the tournament exactly it it is yeah, that's exactly that. Because you would not see that in the Eden meta. You don't mm. even see it in Native Indian culture, right? When you read, read really, yeah, it's really, it's really. You don't see it until the very end when they are been at war with the, the the American government. Like the idea that there would be a leader of a tribe. Like I was specifically thinking about the Sioux, the Sioux Indians, um, the Oglala Sioux, and they were. The signing ceremony that they were doing with, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was one of those first, you know, treaties that was all bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And they asked them, you know, would your leader come sign? And they all laughed. They're like, what, what man has the right to rule over, or to rule or speak for one or speak for us all? Like, or something like that. They had a really mm-hmm. good line. It made me realize that they had no concept of that because it's not, the technology isn't there yet for rulers right? It's all communal still, right? And there's still individuality, like they really cared about how they dressed and stuff. But the idea that one would speak for them all was just 
it was insane to them. And I really noticed because that went around what went different was different than what I thought. And then it's not till they get into war, like when the Sioux was battling the U.S. government, and Red Cloud arises, and then Crazy Horse arises, right? Because like it is an intense need, and then the tournament instincts that are there that the best start leading, but they do it in a very pro-social way, right? They don't oppress their people, they don't, right? So it's not anyway. Back to your point that um, even back then in, in that meta, it would it would have been very that wouldn't have occurred where it would require technology and that change terminals. Anyways, I interrupted you there. Keep yeah. going. No, no, it's all good. Um, it just, I, I'm just thinking through the mapping because yeah, after red, so after the red uh, layer, the, the fourth is blue and blue is order structure process. Um, and it is the, it is the, basically the, the consciousness or the, or the, we could call that, it a meadow yeah. or whatever, but it's like that it's where exactly religion evolves. Um, yeah, it would be like, I call it the integrated tournament mail. It means a tournament mail because they're instinct driven, right? Instinct to not invest in kids, instinct to compete with other men, to be dominant, right? That's an instinctual tournament mail. When they submit to religion or submit to God, they become an integrated tournament mail that their mm. actions are, they're imbued with, you know, the, what's pleasing to God. And that's when we get our history. That's when we get our exciting, beautiful mm. um, you know, things like chivalry and stuff. That's when that, it's like an integrated mm. tournament male history. Mm. Mm. It, it, that, that actually reminds me of um, a quote by Viktor Frankl, which is, you know, you have freedom on one side, sorry, you have liberty on one side or freedom on one side. And then you have, um, you know, the, the counterbalance that are responsibility. Um, yes. and, and for me, like, I was actually thinking of a word that combines freedom and responsibility. And for me, it's actually independence, um, which I think is kind of like the, the highest incarnation of freedom. It's like, you know, I, I could be free to just, you know, fucking live on the street if I want, but I'm not independent. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm dependent on the whims of the environment, but like to, to be truly free in the, in the purest sense or in the highest sense, you want to be responsible and free and yes. to do, you know, the, the blend of both is, um, is the integrated tournament male or the, um, you know, the, the independent human, um, and I, which is interesting. Or, or in the term that we all understand it now, the sovereign male. <laughs> right. Very true. Yeah. Because almost all Bitcoiners are, like maximalists are almost all tournament males. Yeah. Degraded. Right. Yeah. Very moral. But very or at least on or at least on the path to that. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um so so interesting. So so I mean there's there's another four layers like you know after blue you've got orange. Orange is kind of like the um the the entrepreneurial rule breaker. You know, I've kind of transcended from the the like I've transcended the dogma of the structure and realized that there's more out than, you know, it's, you know, entrepreneurs, the scientific revolution, um, et cetera, kind of emerges in that. And then sort of you get green over the top of that. And green is this idea of it, the, the pendulum swings back to more communal, um, you know, like uh, the holistic um, view and, you know, process of the world. And then kind of you move into the transcending the first six base layers into what's called yellow and yellow is the integrated human, which is, that the individual who's able to move up and down that entire stack um, and use the energy of each one uh, as and when needed. And, and I don't know, me, me and me and Michael Krieger had a um, really good, did a really well, that, good podcast and a discussion on this. Well, that, that finishes my thought on meta. So it's like, well, what's the human meta? It is all of those things. Mm -hmm. And you have to know when the right instincts apply for the right things. Right. 
So the play style of the modern, like the meta today, like you have to be aware of all that. There's a time to be Jesus. There's a time to be a tournament male. There's time to be a communal. You know what I mean? Like there's time to be praying to the shamans, you know, mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> right? It's all, and it's all built in you. Yeah. And that's when context matters. In. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Context and that's when you become in, integrated. And then think of a woman, right? Like if you think of, you know, what the, the opposite would be like a form of like healthy hypergamy, like they need to understand their instincts. They need to know when to apply it. They need to know that, you know, maybe, um, dating that 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 uh, rock star at 22 is not going to work out well, right? Like they need to mm-hmm. integrate their instincts properly. And yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's about to be able to travel along those uh, where context matters. And I'll give a, a good example. So, like I think the the true master of all this is Jesus, right? I went from someone thinking you know Jesus was a swear word all the time, right? Like a to like oh okay. I was the same man right. I, I love because I did the same thing from the age of 18 to like my late right. 20s I was the same yeah to to understanding entirely why they named time after him right like the year of our lord because um oh, where was I going with that he teaches so many what you could almost think of as paradoxical teachings but it's for the different metas like and it's, it's hard to give it in a, a quick thing, but he, he gives, yeah, he gives so many ways to deal with different stuff to one temper your instincts sometimes to one embrace them to one, you know, and it's, it's some of the most powerful stuff I've ever read. That's why my meta stuff kind of ends there. Like you can go further. You can talk about industrial man or, but it's really, it stops at Jesus because he, he literally, he fixes it all. He, he, cause he's, he's tournament male. And in, in terms of like, no one can tell him what to do. And in terms of frame, that's the other concept. His frame is unstoppable. Um, can't be defeated. He totally imposes his will wherever he goes. And, you know, so he's like on one hand, like a, like almost like a warrior. And the other hand, he's like a complete, like lovey commie, right? And just love your neighbor. And so he's this really weird hybrid. And, but when you understand his stuff and you go through it, you find the answers. Like when I, when I, when I, when I was saying right at the start, like what was that book Mark Sixton wrote about like what would be the lifestyle? I really feel like when you deeply understand what Jesus talked about, you get like 90% of it. You get a full suite of ideas on how to fix your emotional imbalances from envy, lust, greed, blah, blah, the seven deadly sins. It all comes from Jesus, right? You get tools on game theory on how to deal with, uh, Differential power structures. So when you're dealing with uh, the Roman Empire, where you're dealing with the Pharisees, he gives you how to do game theory so you keep your dignity intact and you can actually not always be losing all the time, right? So he gives, he's giving game theory, he's giving psychology. It's really powerful stuff. And when you throw it all together, it's like a complete picture. And then you throw the, the whole ancestral story behind it, all the metas, and it just sort of fulfills with him. Mm. Which seems bizarre to me starting years ago pure evolutionary biology now seeing that like jesus is like the he's like the paleo emotion theorist if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what i mean like like sisson was a paleo nutritionist or biology and, and jesus is a paleo emotion theorist anyways so how so, so there's there's three cultures that i guess come into mind in some sense that i think um Cut out Have, can you can you hear me? Oh, yeah. You're, you're okay. saying there's All three right. cultures and then you cut off. 
Yeah, three, three cultures that I think, um, maybe even four, um, that I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts on how they play into, you know, the metas and whether they're um, variations of the Jesus meta. So it's like the, the Japanese um, and the, you know, the sort of the samurai warrior class and the Bushido, basically, you know, for, for me, uh, the I having done a bit of study in that, you know, area, I, I find that culture extraordinarily fucking interesting, um, particularly the samurai culture and, you know, the, the, the theories and the, the, sorry, not the theories, but the principles around, you know, honor and war and, and, yeah. um, you know, spirituality, et cetera. So there's that, then there's the, there's the Chinese, not the Confucian path, which is really the, the kind of <clears throat> centrally managed top-down, you know, collectivist viewpoint, which is basically what, ended up winning in china unfortunately but the the taoist thought which to me is you know again we mentioned earlier the Tao, the way and when i look at that it's it's very it's very aligned with christian thought it's very aligned with um with natural order um it's very it's very you know meta um to, to say the least and then the third one is sort of the the Stoics um, and the ancients. So you know the the philosophers, the the Aristotles of the world, the you know the the Roman Stoics and all that. So just that that region. I mean, you could probably also throw the the Indians in there as well. Um, yeah. Oh, know, I, when the, I when I read the when I read um, Native Indian, like the creation stories and their and the what their religion sounds a lot like Christianity to me. Mm-hmm. anyway sorry so 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 i mean what what's what's your thoughts on how, how do they play into this model of you know going from eden crisis neolithic and jesus like do these kind of would you lump them into the same thing as jesus um you know are they flavors of that same sort of maybe an emergence of collective consciousness because because they all sort of emerge around the same time right give or take 500 or a thousand years or whatever well they only would have existed because they had good feedback. I mean, persisted, right? Mm. They worked, they, they, they led to some form of order. And if, if they had successful feedback, that means they were very likely tapping into the a priori nature of it. Right. The Christians call that the logos, mm. right? So they were very, the logos or the meta, it's the same word. Mm. Kind of get what I mean. It's the same, the design, right? They have to be tapping into design for it to be successful. Like you just can't get fit if you're not tapping into the design. You won't get the feedback right. It just won't work. So any of those things that have persisted and they have huge cultural significance almost always, I mean, always are the meta. They always are the logos. They're always tapping into it, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Bushido, so or whether it's the Stoics. Now, I'm one of those guys that I haven't gone down that path that much. I haven't gone down the Japanese philosophy that much. I haven't gone down the Stoics a a little bit, but I immediately turned away when it was all about sort of like having no emotions. Mm -hmm. I think there's real power in emotions. So I just haven't gone far in those areas. So about the only insight I can provide is that they have to be meta almost always. And then it's, you just have, when you approach it with a meta mind, you'll be able to extract out, like there's always fluff included in these things. There's lots of fluff in the Bible. There's lots of, you know, stuff that needs to be burned off and you'll always, you'll always find a logo sitting there. That's been my experience at least. 
So I'd have to, I'd have to go through that, but I'm, I'm certain it's there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, so do you think, and I'll just add to this. So Jordan yep. Peterson calls this the golden thread. Mm, okay. Right? That's so very, the, okay. Yeah. This is the golden thread, right? Or the logos or what I call the meta, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so if you can extract it, then you know how to live to its fullest. Mm -hmm. so, so in other words, th these are all, um, yeah, I, okay. I, I like that analogy of the golden thread because it's kind of like, for, for me, when I went off the rails and, you know, became a full blown fucking atheist and all this sort of stuff when I was young, like, you know, I, I went in and I went and, thought i found things that were you know uh divergent to christianity um i was like look at this you know fucking you know eastern philosophy and all this was like i went down the alan watts path and you know all this sort of stuff and like i really went into that and, and i thought i found something different but then you know as i got older and i dug into christianity once more i was like holy fuck that they're actually the same thing oh, just slightly different languages um and different you know slight variations and nuance in explaining basically the same thing which is that you know and, and that's why i think you know the golden thread is a very um a very useful uh way to think about this so and if, so and if, and if i'm right the, the major thing i'm trying to say is that our evolutionary history is the best way to see the, what the golden thread is mm, mm, like mm. the bible just attributes it in a broad sense to, well, this pleases God, mm. right? Then they don't really have, and I feel like the, our modern understanding of evolution and um, the Paleolithic, et cetera, it provides us finally what the template is. It's like, this is why you have these instincts. This is why you feel this way, mm -hmm. you know? So it just, I mean, I don't, it's, it's not particularly more useful because, you know, religious people, they're fine just doing the bro science. I'll just do what works. They don't need to know. But I think this is where the big power is for me. Like I, I can't just attribute things to the supernatural. I can't, yes. I can't have that level of conviction where I'd be able to follow, call it the bro science or, or the feedback that works really well just by attributing it to something supernatural. I need something that's a lot more firm because, you know, I've unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends how you look at it. I've been too steeped in, you know, the a priori nature of Austrian economics and other things to where if it isn't to that level, I have a hard time really being convicted. So, mm -hmm. by, so, by, so by putting it together this way, it makes it perfect. Like I, anyways, it's I, it, the level of conviction I had when I first did a paleo diet, I have for all of this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a integrated symphony. Um, Tell me then, so I was actually fun, funny that you mentioned the supernatural thing because I was literally, that was my next question is like, wh where do you stand on the supernatural element? Because see me and me and um, me and Jimmy Song did a good, you know, two, three hour episode on, on this. And then like, it was called Bitcoin preachers. And then I followed it up with Bitcoin atheists with, um, with Canute and with, um, with Ben Sessions. Um, and basically I played devil's advocate. So I played the atheist with, with Jimmy Song and Jim Bush. And I played the, the, the Christian with um with Knut and stuff like that. Right. And um it was um it was it was an interesting set of discussions. And and I guess where me and Jimmy got to was Jimmy was like, yep, you're a Christian, uh, but minus the belief in the supernatural. Yeah. Um and 
I was like, yeah, that that's you know that's an interesting um way to describe you know my my principles and and where I sit. So like, would you, you, does that align with you, or where, where do you kind of place yourself? Ooh, that's a big one. Mm. Um, so when Jesus when Jesus did his ministry, he he said he called people that followed him the followers of the way, just like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he called what he was doing the way, right? So I, I consider myself a follower, like a very, oh, what would it be? Diligent, diligent follower of the way. Like I really think about what he taught often. It's so, so powerful. And I don't say that sort of like, a, you know, some people are just like, oh, I love Jesus. And they can't even explain why. My, my, my interest in Jesus is entirely from his teachings and his teachings are, his teachings are mind blowing. Mm when you really get into them and the problem that people approach with Jesus is that they never get the Jewish context behind what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in them before where they're like, they just read a passage. You're like, well, how did that make you feel? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like you have to go into the, you have to go, I think it's called typology, like where it's the actual reference of every, cause everything he talks about is in the old Testament almost always. And I, I did a newsletter on, you know, for instance, an example is turning the other cheek. A lot of people just say, Oh, you know, you, so someone hits you, just let him hit you again. It's like a form of love. And like, that's not what he means at all. What he means is it's just very complicated, but if you were a master and you were, and you were to hit your slave on the cheek, you would do it with a backhand. And, and if you were Jew, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't hit it with any other hand because using your left hand would be on front. You can't use your left hand for unclean tasks, like backhanding a, a servant. So if, if he backhands you as like a sign of disrespect or whatever, you turn to him the other cheek. Now this presents a problem because if he backhands you again, he'll hit your face, right? And he actually says the cheeks. He says, if, if they hit you on the right cheek, which would be a backhand, turn to him the other cheek, as Jesus says. And so if he was to backhand you again, just, just do it. Like your face would be where his hand hits. And it was, there was Jewish law against hitting your slave in the face. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's hamstrung you there. And then, you can't, so all that's open is the other cheek with a, now with a fist. Like if you, if you open or if you gave him a, a, a right, a right fisted blow, but then there was laws against hitting your slave with a fist. So by turning the other cheek, you wrap them up in, or you, you really the way I look at it is you frustrate their ability to take your dignity again. Right. Mm, mm. So this, so when people talk about Jesus, they're like, turn the other cheek. And they're sitting there like getting beat on like a doormat, right? Like a whipping boy or something. Mm. And Jesus literally is teaching defiance. He's teaching when, you know, there's a, there's a, like a power differential with a master and they're taking your dignity. This is how you at least maintain it or get it back and, or at least frustrate them from continuing. So that's a completely different message than what you normally read on Jesus and all of his stuff is like that. When you go through it, it's like, there's the, the low resolution, like pop culture um, explanation of what he's talking about. Then you get into the deep Jewish context. You're like, Holy shit. That is in something entirely different. So, yeah. Well, do, do, do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Jordan Peterson uh, uh, redefining um, meek for me. Like right. where, it, yeah. Like the, you know, people think meek means, you know, the, downtrodden or useless yeah. or the sheeple but it's like 
the the original incarnation of the word was something along the lines of those who have swords and know how to use them but choose to keep them sheathed um, right. and and yeah that that for me is like and that's one of the that was one of those mind-blowing moments and what is the great thing that that you know um christianity did in history it integrated the tournament mill mm. got him to put his sword in his sheath and focus on things like um earning a return on his property mm. Like that's one of the big things you talked about in the parable of the talents, like actually going out and earning a return. Right. So that's where like the foundation of capitalism is also found in Jesus's teachings. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's all there. So that, that, that one, cause that's what, that's what Jesus says. The meek shall inherit the earth. He's, he's responsible for the integration of the tournament meal. Right. Because up until that po point, the great hero of, uh, Judaism was David, who was like a classic tournament male, right? Cheated on his, mm. cheated on his wife, killed his best friend, stole his wife, had kids. You know what <laughs> I mean, right? Like that's a classic tournament male. And but he also had pair bonding, loving instincts too, and about his people. So he was hailed as a hero. And then here comes Jesus, and he's like, "The meek shall inherit the earth." So it's it's incredible stuff when you start really dissecting it. So so you mentioned, you know, your your readings of the teachings of jesus so you mentioned the old testament like w w when you want to really get into that because i mean a lot a lot of obviously his teachings and I, I can't remember if i mentioned this to you or if it was to someone else but um it was in reference to a to a discussion i also had with my girlfriend around separating uh christianity from religion and from indoctrination and you know and dogma which like to me i kind of see three layers i see you know <clears throat> Christianity, the philosophy, then you have religion, which is an interpretation of the philosophy, and that can come in many flavors, and, and that's fine. But then you have kind of the, the decayed third layer, which is the, um, or the deranged third layer, which is the institutionalization of the yeah, religion yeah. of the philosophy. And I think I mentioned this to you over a call, but it's like th there's a big difference. And I think most people, when they have a problem with, um, you know, whether it's Christianity or any other religion, it's it's the problem with the third, but they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is, you know, the, yes, totally. the, you know, the philosophy itself, extraordinarily powerful, but, you know, a lot of, I mean, even the even the religious text or the flavor on the philosophy can get distorted in some senses. So, so for you, what's your best way of you know getting to the source of some of these things? Well, I think Jesus came and and ended religion. So, mm -hmm. what was the second one you described? So, philosophy, then religion as an interpretation of philosophy, um, and then institutionalization of religion as the church. I think Jesus, like the big theme is, is, you know, one of the other groups he was up against, he was up against the Roman empire, right? He was up against our emotional selves, the battle within, but he's also up against the Pharisees. And there's this phenomenon that happens. So religious teachings explain what sin is, right? And sin is a very rational concept, but there's always the, 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 uh, the natural cost of sin when you do it, right? And you drink or you murder or you lust and then your whole family breaks up or you covet your friend's stuff and something happens. Like there's always a, when you engage in those sins, there's always like the wages of the sin itself, right? Just like if you eat seed oils, there's the wages of, uh, that you can consider that a sin, right? But then religion always comes along and adds a second layer of sin payment. It's like there's the, there's the payment of the wages itself 
that something gets out of whack in your life or you get some really bad feedback. But then religion always adds on, but you also owe payment to God to get cleansed of it, right? And it's that where, that's where all the abuse happens. And that's what Jesus comes to end, right? So I'll just give a quick example of that because I know we're running out of time. But mm. so the Jews at the time, there was sin and there was a million different sins that, that percolated over as the, as the Old Testament went on. So they feel like they're living in sin all the time. But to be cleansed of sin, you had to go give offerings at the temple or get cleansed by something called living water at the temple, right? This is around the time of Jesus. And that would always cost you money, right? It's just like the Catholics did. It's like, oh, you need to be, <laughs> you need to confess your sins and be absolved of your sins and your soul leave purgatory, right? And what's that, what's that saying? Once the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs, right? <laughs> yeah. You've heard that before, right? So yeah. there's always this like, this, this payment to God, it's like you've had the wages of sin and its cost, but now you owe this second cleansing piece. And if you don't do it, you're going to be, have no blessings in the future, right? Well, that's the religious human piece turning it in, into a, a racket. So Jesus comes and says, I'm living water. You don't need to pay to have yourself cleansed. I am the lamb that gets slaughtered. I am the sacrificial lamb. You no longer have to pay the payment to God for your sins anymore. But, but he always says, but go and sin no more. So the sins of the, of the, of the action itself remain. There's always the wages of those, but you don't owe a payment anymore. The racket's over. Do you know what I mean? So that's, so when, when Jesus came and did that, I mean, it's so distinct when you, when you read his stuff that he ended the payment racket of sin. That was what all, that's what the, that's what the Pharisees were built on at his time. That's what, like modern, in a lot of ways, you know, it's not very strong anymore than it was, say, medieval times or things like that. But that's always the racket. And I think Jesus just utterly destroyed that. So in the absence of that, what is there? There's a personal relationship with the teacher. That's the way I see it. And that's, to me, the only true way to do it. Not everyone's going to do that because that's a, and he, and, he, and he says, he always says that, like, very few will get this right anyways if you understand this yeah, yeah. um so and, and maybe we went off on too many tangents but you know <laughs> yeah. is there is there an answer here for um your position on the supernatural element of christianity itself yeah so i i don't believe in any of the supernatural elements okay because the jesus is so logically clean like his logic mm-hmm. stuff is just mm-hmm. so perfect i just i feel like the human religious element added all these other pieces to his teaching. Right. I just, I can't escape that. That's to me is the Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. So much of what he says, just like, it's just too pure. It's too, it's too perfect. It's too clean. And I just, all this stuff gets added. And so anything up until, you know, after his crucifixion, I largely ignore, I mean, this is probably very controversial, right. But like, I don't, I don't even really recognize what Paul says, you know, he's, He's responsible for a lot of the New Testament. I don't find his stuff related. When you read Jesus and he reads Paul, you're like, mm. I don't see the, the the same connection isn't there. So I'm, and then, and then of course, Old Testament stuff, like there's giants and there's like all sorts of supernatural things, right? Do you really think that we started from a little garden with, with a snake in the tree? Yeah. 
that is by definition a fable. If you've ever mm -hmm. read, you know, it's a story of an animal in a, like a, it's a fable. So no, I don't, I don't, if that isn't real, like do you believe like, because there's people that believe that they believe it's literal and they're, they're really antagonistic if you don't. Right. Yeah. But if that is a, is a fable, if that's a metaphor, well then how much else is a metaphor? Mm -hmm. Right. So my interest is the golden thread, the logos, the meta. Yeah. That's yep. always what I'm seeking. And then, you know, I find the great joy in connecting what Jesus is doing to those periods I talked about, the previous metas, and he's perfect, all his stuff, right? He recreates all of them. And it's just like, there's, there's a certain thing that I have when something fits so perfectly, I accept it. Yeah. You know, you're probably that way too. Like, that ah, it fits too good. I don't need any more data. Yeah, it's it's the I mean that that I think stems from the 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 propensity I guess to um appreciate an a priori truth. It's like it's it's two plus two. It's perfect. I don't need you to prove that fucking two plus two equals four, motherfucker. Like it it just does. Um, and and that's what I look at it as like. So if I can like simplify what the meta is to me, it's like when the a priori and the a posteriori, you're for, you know, all these two concepts, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. from, the, from the former, from its nature, from mm -hmm. the latter, from its observed um, empirical observation. When they line up perfectly, you have a perfect explanation for why this is perfect and it's great feedback and the, the a priori is perfect. That's all I'm after. That's it. Yeah. And that's, that, the, and that's, that, the, that's beautifully said. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But I, I need the a priori there because of my Austrian background. Like I just struggle if there's not, can't just be bro science. It needs to be the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that, that's really, really well put. Like it honestly does remind me right, right at the end of um, the podcast with, um, with Jimmy and, and Jim, the, the preachers podcast, like Jimmy tried to prove a point around like, look, you know, there, there has to be a supernatural explanation for some of this stuff because if you look at some of the teachings in the bible like and he and he mentioned one and i can't remember what it was and he said you know this one you know kind of proves that it's you know not just about like um you know doing things logically because this has no logic and i kind of looked at it i was like well no not exactly it was it was something to do with maybe it was like um washing maybe it wasn't the washing feet it was something to do with like eating in a house and thanking someone or whatever and it and it seemed was rude the on the surface the woman washes her her washes his feet with her with her hair mm, fuck i can't remember i'm gonna have to listen to the podcast again or, or if anyone's listening to this like listen to that pod but at the end and then it was funny because jimmy specifically pointed that one out as where's the lesson in this and i was like well i can see a perfect lesson in that and like i pointed it out like and he was like he goes, you should be a pastor. <laughs> it was like, I had not heard that one before. It's like, yeah. that's really well, good. He goes, I'm going to go and like ponder that for a while. Well, well I'll tell you something, because if, if we think the same, right, we have the same, mm -hmm. that logical instinct. I found when I started going through passages, I had way cleaner conclusions than other people. When yeah, I started yeah, to bring in all yeah. the Jewish stuff, right? Like I, I had just... So there, there was such a joy I had going through it because I felt like maybe I had an instinct for the logos a bit better. I don't know. Maybe that's arrogant, but it just like, it would just leap off the page mm, and mm. I would get, I would get what, cause I considered like when you, when you really start studying Jesus, you're like, holy shit, this guy is logical. This guy is like pristine logic, logic that actually makes your, your mind bend. Like there's a couple yeah, of like 4D logic. Yeah. They're just like, there's a couple of parables. You're just like, 
what did he just say? Like in it, I can see why this stuff has been around for 2000 years, but, but, but he's so logical and that goes against what people think is, is the nature of Jesus. But so when a very, very logical person reads it, like you can't help, but like find it an exciting process. Mm. Fortunately, I've been able to go through with this pastor friend of mine, who's just like really crisp on all the, all the, all the back end, all the Jewish mm. stuff, all the traditions mm. and the laws. Right. So you're reading something like, what the heck does this mean? You get a nice explanation. You look it up a bit more. You like really get a picture for what's being talked about. And then you can apply the, your logic to it at that point. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so, so to actually finish an earlier thread. So when I said, you know, where do you get your teachings, you know, from yeah. Jesus? So it's like you, you mentioned the old Testament is far more, I guess, congruent with with jesus stuff and yes, then you know the new testament absolutely. not so much um wh- where else so if someone wants to do this themselves um and review and study and like like for example where, where can they validate some of the jewish principles at the time to understand things okay. like the word meek etc well i don't know about that because that that's that's something jordan said right i, I assume mm. it's correct because he's not a he's not a um lazy person mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. But the very best on some of the most poorly understood things that Jesus said that leads Christians astray, that's turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give the cloak off your back, is some writings by a guy named Walter Wink. And he wrote, mm-hmm. um, I believe it's Jesus, Jesus and Nonviolence or Jesus' Third Way. And he goes into all the, the very complex Jewish law behind stuff. And then in the case of the extra mile, he goes... He goes behind the Roman laws that applied to soldiers. Like they were only allowed to make you walk one mile. If you went the extra mile, they'd get like the equivalent of court-martialed. So you like punish them, right? But anyways, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so Walter Wink covers it beautifully, but he covers the, you know, the key message of uh, Jesus's ministry was dignity and always protecting your dignity, right? Which Christians suffer at at times, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When they, especially when they follow that doormat philosophy. So Walter Wink stuff's, awesome now as beyond that you know i've had the luxury of having you know a pastor be able to take me through the bible so i don't have any specific books i do like red pill christianity actually by forrest moretti i don't know if you've if you've heard of that one i why do i know his name he's the he's the the guy who's very smallpox thing um i think he did a smallpox um not smallpox the polio Polio, polio, polio. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm off right. in the iron lung. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing, and I, I always see the logic with him. I always see that. I, I judge yeah, people now on, uh, on what I think their natural logos is. Yeah. Talked okay. about like whenever I see someone like you have it right. Whenever I see someone like that guy's got the logos, I tend to find all their stuff correct. Mm-hmm. Whenever mm-hmm. I dig into it, like it's all. So his book, Red Pill Christianity, um, this gets controversial. Like I don't, I don't like to alienate Christians because I, I feel like what they have is beautiful. I don't want to screw them up whatsoever on their, on their faith. Um, it's not, it's not the point. This is just my own personal journey, but I found red pill Christianity pretty cool. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I've, I've noted that down here as well. I, I want to throw one book in the works and I think, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this one up in a minute anyway, and then we'll, we'll do, I, I definitely want to do an episode on, you know, hypergamy tournament male frame dignity i think that sort of grouping is incredibly important um and then we can dig into some of these other metas but um there is there is one book so speaking of like uh this logos and this um and this golden thread there's one book that changed my entire you you cut out there there is one and then it cut out 
Okay, book. there there is a book that changed my entire perspective <laughs> on um on the on the nature and notion of property and territory, which is oh, called um you've mentioned it's it. called the yeah the, the the territorial imperative by a guy called Robert Ardrey. And he's, he's an anthropologist of the kind that just doesn't exist in the fucking world anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Like these days, you know, anthropologists like that fucking retard Yuval Harari, you know, are walking around claiming that they, you know, know something because they wrote a book. Um, yeah, and they're, and they're woke kids. in space, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, this guy, dude, he is definitely not woke. And he's got like some sections in there around like, you know, he's territorial theory around why the Jews survived for so long um, and why they keep surviving. So I think you really, really enjoy this book, but he makes the case and it's a very, 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 very compelling case. And it inspired me to start like an essay, which I'll have to finish at some stage called private property as a biological imperative um, for human beings. And, and he talks about the, the first natural biological imperative um, for just about almost every species other than um than insects like more for like mammalian species is the territorial imperative not the sexual imperative so it's, uh, sexual selection comes after territorial selection and it's a really really strong um case and he uses all sorts of um examples uh, anthropologically speaking from you know from animals um to to monkeys to um to birds to all the way through to through humans and and you know I, I can't do it justice in five minutes but basically sets the sets the stage for understanding how nature has this kind of almost in the dna of all species that seem to find symbiosis and a dynamic equilibrium with their with their environment they have the capacity to innately sense territory um and mm -hmm. it manifests in in different ways and you know he he looks at examples of um how perfectly um healthy and um you know strong males of particular species depending on the patch of land that they hold will either attract a female or not attract but the female will go to the one who has the prime real estate or the prime property or the prime territory not the prime genetics and usually the one who has the prime territory is the one who has the prime genetics anyway so so they kind of like overlap right. each other For sure. um and the thing is like what's interesting is that, that there's all sorts of evidence around like the home ground or the or your home territory you can be a weaker specimen and if the attacker is from outside your territory and comes in you generally beat him mm. because you're on home ground like you're in your own it has like psychological power it has psychological power it has biological power it's got all sorts of stuff and like even down to like you know there was stuff in there about like how birds in a particular zone like they'll, they'll fly in and they'll go to like takes another bird's property or their you know their 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 like they'll prey on them or whatever but one bird will fuck up five um competitors because it's his home base um and like 
if that one bird was past the particular point, like outside of their, you know, their, yep. their innate biological territory, that bird would just get fucked up by one of them. Like, so, so there's these, <laughs> all these sorts of interesting things. Like there, there was another example of um, the U S military trying to relocate a bunch of um, endangered birds down, I think, uh not in antarctica but at the i think the base the cape of um you know the base of argentina or chile there and no matter what they did they took the motherfuckers on boats and all this sort of stuff they planted them all around the world and they all flew back to the same spot irrespective every single one of them had this like innate biological um kind of almost like a homing um sense like and they didn't see how they got there you know it wasn't winds are all, all this sort of stuff. So, so it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And like, for me, you know, having read that book um, and then having thought about um, and, you know, having come from a you know background in Bitcoin and all this sort of stuff, I was like, Holy fuck. Like the light bulbs just started like yeah. going off for me. And I was like, Holy shit. You know, maybe we have a territorial imperative and, and, and I kind of link it to this sense of, you know, the idea of mm-hmm. taking someone's stuff or stealing. Right it feels incongruent. There's mm-hmm. almost something like, even as a fucking child, before you're taught what is wrong or right, like you take something from someone else, like it just doesn't feel right. It's like, you know, the, the yeah. kids beat each other up over it. So I think there's, there's, there's a thread there, which I think you more than most people would like really, really appreciate. So I'd, I'd really recommend um, digging into that because I think it, it'll weave into this meta thing It'll add some color to elements. Yeah, I know it will. Because I, I don't know if you read my thread recently on property. And Bitcoin has taught me that this gets, we'd have to do a whole show on this. But mm. I only care about the instinct of possession now when I think of property and the capacity to defend it, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this studio of mine uh, was shut down for three months in the lockdown. I apparently don't have property rights. I thought I did, right? Because I don't possess it when you really get down to it. Right. So anyways, I'm really, I'm really interested in the seeing property, not through pro, the, the property, right. Sort of like mm-hmm. manner anymore. I'm, I'm really about seeing property through the psychological possession, mm-hmm. the perspective, right. Mm-hmm. Which I think completely relates to what you're talking about, because that, that, that instinct itself is probably like an integrated version of the territorial instinct, but in things, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And now in yes. things, it's not so much in a, an area of land. It probably still is a bit, right? But, but yeah, there's so much there. It's, it's, it's a major the, the cool thing about Bitcoin, and I was, where I was leading that, is it's a possession technology. It, mm-hmm. you can, your psychological possession over it cannot be impeded by anyone else. And that's mm-hmm. why it has property rights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. it doesn't rely on a government to, to larp that you have property rights mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. it's just that you can fundamentally possess it which is like it's been nothing like that in history mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely yeah fuck there's um there's, so there's a whole lot of things yeah okay so all right um let's let's wrap this up i think we basically went through everything so we went through the timelines yep. and periods we went through um hypogamy tournament males we went through the idea of like patches. I think next time we'll, we'll speak a little bit to, um, to maladapted emotions and stuff like that. I think, you know, um, I, I, I really like the idea of, um, 
emotions and then the the light side and the dark side of each emotion right because i think and, and that that's probably a Jungian thing it's you know he popularized this idea of you know light and dark versions of everything and that feeds really into the the spiral dynamics that i was talking about before when me and michael krieger were talking about it he was like framing the different layers in like you know red is bad and blue is bad and i was like no no, no. i said you know red has an energy which is extraordinarily good like if we're in a burning fucking house um, right. you don't go into green mode like oh kumbaya we're all in this together no you, you go into fucking red you kick the door down you tell everybody to get the fuck out before they all burn down right so it's like each each you know layer of consciousness or each meta um, of consciousness totally you know it comes with its own light and dark uh manifestations yeah so um so all right i guess to to finish this up like where can people find you um and where should they find more about the work you've done on meta well yeah you can go to my twitter account it's meta underscore trav that's where i'm posting it all you can see my pin post there it's all my meta mega threads um mm -hmm. always pumping out new ones so that's that's the best place to reach me. Okay. Okay. Um, and then your old school account. I mean, I think you still use it. Parabolic drive, right? Yeah. Not so much anymore, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I much Amen. prefer. I much prefer this way of using Twitter. Like, yeah. I get, I get sick of talking about Bitcoin. Right? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's got to rope into the whole picture, right? And there's a lot of like we we could probably explore it one day, but the meta nature of Bitcoin is really interesting. Right. I think I think that that's probably where you know once we get to like you know whatever episode near the end we like tie it all together with Bitcoin because I mean that's seriously the reason the reason I did this fucking podcast and called it Wake Up was like I wanted to look at um, basically now now I'm going to use your terminology I wanted to look at the metas across multiple dimensions yeah. in the world um, because for me like Bitcoin touches all of these fucking things but it's interesting insofar as it does touch all of these things like you know Bitcoin in isolation is fucking digital gold who gives a shit like or oh, Bitcoin is a fucking asset okay good on you bro fucking you know you, you found something else to gamble with like it's totally not interesting yeah. like th th this is why I find this stuff interesting it's the never-ending rabbit hole I know I find it amazing that there's so many um, things that Jesus said that if you replace what he's saying with Bitcoin, they make perfect sense. <laughs> it's just really bizarre. Michael Saylor's done it a few times and people are like, you're a heretic or whatever, or it's blasphemy. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, there's a reason because it, it taps into the logos, it taps into yeah. the metal, right? It's the golden thread. It works. Yeah. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Um, I'm really glad real we did pleasure. this one. Absolutely. No, so we'll, um, we'll book in the second one. Um, maybe we can do them back to back. Um, I'll see if, I'll see if we can line it up that way. And, um, and yeah, dude, uh, really, really looking forward to exploring this deeper. Sounds good. Thanks brother. See you Absolutely. soon.